Today we're going to be once again on our IBC 260. We are in the Exodus series, the Promised Land series. And we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 33 and chapter 34 this morning. And so start, go ahead and turn to chapter 33 for me as we get prepared to enter into this. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I like sermons that are practical, applicable. I want to have a sermon that addresses a real-life problem in my life. And in turn from there, I want for it to give me a solution to that problem. I also want a little bit of encouragement to go along the way. But with that being said, this sermon is going to be the foundation for which those sermons can be preached. This is the foundation because if we do not have this accomplished, if we do not have this mastered, if we do not hold this as a priority, then everything else, every other problem, will never be solved. Every other critical issue in our life, every other thing in our faith will not be solved correctly if we do not tackle this. Today we're going to be looking at the intimacy with God, the importance of, the need of, the necessity of, but more importantly, the gift of intimacy with the Lord. Now see, I don't know if we have any college football fans in here, but a couple years ago, I got to meet a college football legend by the name of Bobby Bowden. He was uh, the coach for FSU, and he was there for years. He did, or it, I, I can't remember which one, but I think it was Florida State, right? I, I don't watch it, I'll be honest with you. But here's what he did. He told a story at the church I was serving at the time. And what his story was, he said, I'm going to tell you my greatest sports story. So we're thinking he's going to talk about a national championship, or at least talk about one of the coolest football games he was ever in. But he didn't. He told us a story about baseball. thought this was weird. And his story about baseball consisted of when he was younger. He was on home plate. He was about to go up to bat. He gets up to bat. The pitcher throws the ball, and they need him to score a homer. And he does. And he goes to first base. He goes to second base. He runs around third base, comes home. Everyone cheers, but there's a problem. And he talks about this. He, he's so dramatic with it. I mean, like the anticipation is building. What's the problem? Now, when he said he went around third base, he literally went around third base. And they tagged him out. And the game was over. His team lost. And he talks about how he did all the right things. He hit the ball with enough force. He was excellent in his hit. But he messed up by not checking off one of the bases. And he talks about how that base was so critical. But we're going to talk about a critical base. And I'm going to potentially call it maybe our second base. Because if our first base is giving our life to Jesus, the second base should be pursuing intimacy with Jesus. And if we miss this base, then nothing else matters. If we miss this base, we're going to have bigger issues in our life. If we miss this base, we will not feel the presence of the Lord and our life, which is what we are desiring, whether you realize it or not. So where we're at in this point of Exodus is last week we covered Moses writing the Ten Commandments. And as he was writing it, little did he know, but the Hebrews, his people, the Israelites, the one that he was up there getting the word from God in order to give it to these people, they were already making a false idol. They were making an idol a bra or a golden statue of a bull. Now, with that being said, they had to sacrifice in order to do this. It says that they burned, they melted all of their jewelry, all of their expensive things. They melted it down to form this large gold bull that they would worship. And I kid you not, it's in the scripture as clear as day. As Moses comes down the mountain, he can hear them saying, it is because of this bull 
this false god that we have been rescued from the Egyptians. How offensive. How frustrating. Not only that, but Moses is holding the tablets that actually say, you know, number one, you shouldn't have another god before me. And they're already messing it up. And so what does he do? He slams them down out of anger, out of frustration. We see Moses so upset because his people are missing the mark. And not only are they missing the mark, but I think it's so crazy that they are giving attention. They are showing attention, giving affection, credit to something, and stealing it from the Lord. How silly is that? How silly would it be to take credit away from the Lord and to give it to something else that had nothing to do with it? That sounds so ridiculous, but I challenge you that we do that daily. We do that often. But here's how I think we do it. I don't think we give credit to a false god or a false idol. I think that we give credit for all of God's blessings in our life to ourselves far too often. Here's what I mean by that. I think that often, we might not even say it with word, but we say it, with, we say it in heart. Is that we think things like, you know what, because of my talents, because of my hard work, because of my work ethic, because of what I am good at, the things that I have done, I have been blessed and given X. One of my favorite worship songs, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. Hear me, church, if we didn't have his breath in our lungs, we would cease to exist. And I think what we need to recognize is that God has blessed you with things. And one thing that you can do with those things is brag about the Lord that blessed you with them, then brag about yourself. Here's what's funny. If you received an expert, I'm talking a masterpiece painting. I'm talking a beautiful painting. When somebody came in and asked you about your painting, would you explain about the paintbrush or the painter? Do you see what I'm saying here? Do you give credit to the paintbrush for the painting or do you give credit to the painter? I think all too often we give credit to the paintbrush, meaning ourselves, the tool that God is choosing to use, rather than to the artist himself. Do you see the problem with this? I think all too often we miss it. And I think we have to remind ourselves that without the Lord's blessings, without his breath, without his presence, we are absolutely worthless, church. Sorry, I'm not very encouraging today, but it is so true. We are absolutely worthless without the empowerment, the emboldening empowerment of the Lord. Here's what we're going to see today. We're going to see Moses coming down. We're going to see the glorious, the glory of God, the glorious glory. Hear me, you don't hear the word glorious mentioned too much to describe anything other than God. And I think the reason why is because nothing else is really worthy of that term. I don't think anything else is really worthy of that term, glorious, other than the Lord himself. And so what we see is this concept, this moment, where Moses is mad because they're taking credit away from the Lord, giving it to this false idol, just like we all too often take credit from the Lord and give it to ourselves when God wants us to use it as a moment to evangelize, a moment to brag on him rather than us. I heard a quote once and I loved it. It said, one of the most dangerous things a person can do is believe all of the critics in their life. I absolutely believe that. But the second part of the quote is, a more dangerous thing 
is if that person believes all the compliments. I think that that's really dangerous. I think that's really scary because if you believe all of the good things people tell you, I think you start to think of yourself a whole lot higher than you should. And I think that when people compliment us and when people praise us, I think that God's allowing us to receive attention so we can deflect that attention and reflect him. Does that make sense? We need to deflect the attention so we can reflect him, the cross, his blessing, his gift. It's not about us. So when we get attention, attention is a good thing. It is a great thing. There is a reason that churches advertise. That is okay. But what are we supposed to do when we receive the attention? Deflect it from ourselves and reflect the cross of Jesus. That is the goal of the church. That is the goal of a Christian. Don't believe the compliments. Rather, use that moment of praise as an opportunity to give credit where credit is due, church. That is imperative. This is where the Israelites were missing the mark. And now we see the consequence. We see this moment where God is so frustrated and so angry because his people do not have their minds right. And so we see Moses meeting with the Lord. His people have built this false idol. And now Moses is talking with God on what to do next. Exodus 33, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go from here. You and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to, hear this, to your offspring I will give it. It's no longer to them but to their offspring. Verse two, I will send an angel before you and I will drive out, this is a blessing here, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Do you hear this? He's saying, I am driving out all of your enemies. I'm giving you the promised land. Verse three, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you provision. Do you hear this? The land flowing with milk and honey. I am gonna take care of you. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna bless you with this land. But that's a big, big but. I will not go up among you. We breeze over this, but that's a big deal. But I will not Go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Do you hear this? He's saying, I am going to bless you. I am going to give you everything. I am going to provide for you. I am going to give you anything and everything that you need. I'm going to give you this great promised land, but my presence will no longer be in your midst. I will never walk amongst you. I will not be one with you because if I did, because of your sinfulness, you would be consumed. Heard a great illustration that God is almost like the sun in this passage. And the closer you get to the sun, eventually you are burned up because it is far too powerful for you to get close I've heard that if the earth was just one degree closer or further away to the sun, we would burn up or freeze to death. We are in the perfect location. But hear me, what he's saying is if you get too close to me because of my holiness and because of your sin, they don't go well together. There is an allergy that I have, much like Baptists are allergic to the front rows of a sanctuary. Just saying, there's no need for all that in the back. I'm just, mm. anyway, here's what's up. Here's what you guys need to get. The Lord 
hates sin, despises sin, and there's a consequence for sin. It separates us. And he's saying, I'm going to give you everything, but you don't get me. I will give you all that you want on this earth. I will give you every earthly desire and need that you're looking for, but you don't get me. He says, but I will not go up among you. That is a huge problem. The people's response is a broken heart. They realize the folly. They realize their issue. They're mourning. They recognize that they are missing everything because if they have all the stuff, but they don't have a relationship with the Lord, a oneness and intimacy, it's simply not worth it. There's no point if you have all of that, but you are not one with the Lord. Verse 4, this is their response. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord has said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked, a.k.a. stubborn people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornament from Mount Horeb onward. This literally broke them. See, what we see in the next part of the text, verses 7 through 10, is God instructs Moses to go build this tent and go put this, he says, far away from the camp. And I will meet with you in this tent. The people could not have interaction with the Lord. They could not have oneness with the Holy Spirit, but Moses could. And so Moses builds this tent. It's away from everybody. And every time that Moses wanted to meet with the Lord, he would go out to this tent away from the camp. And the people would watch him walk to this tent. And then they would watch this pillar of cloud fall by the entrance, signifying the Lord's presence. And Moses would meet in the Lord's presence on a regular basis, but they could not. See, we have the Holy Spirit. We have full access to the Lord. We are not in the same position that the Israelites, the Hebrew children are in. That is a huge blessing. Could you imagine this? Could you imagine if you showed up for church and I met you in the atrium and I said, hey, listen, I'm so excited because God's told us he's going to show up today. Man, we are going to feel his presence. He is going to be in our midst. It is going to be a powerful service where Jesus is truly going to take over, take charge, show up, and show off. And I'm pumped. But little side note, he told me that uh, he's not coming in if you come in. So you need to stay out here while we have an encounter with the Lord. That's exactly what God told Moses about the Israelites. You're going to encounter me. You're going to get me in the fullness. You're going to be in my presence. You and I will have a tight, intimate relationship. But they will not. See, did you know that the Hebrew children, the Israelites in the New Testament, were looking for a Savior to be like Moses? They were expecting him to be like Moses. Now, why is that? It wasn't because Moses was special. It wasn't because Moses had some different upbringing or was smarter. No, it's because they expected for whoever that Savior was to be. They expected that Savior to have a thriving, intimate relationship with the Lord, unlike what they could have. That's what they expected. So that's why they're expecting Moses to have similar attributes as the Savior, because they knew that Savior would have a oneness, a closeness with God. They didn't expect that he would be God in the flesh. 
And so you see Moses here. He goes into the tent. The people are left out. And they're starting to realize that they can have all of the blessings. They can be taken care of and provided for. But without a closeness, it's simply worthless. See, it's funny. We have this baby monitor now. And this baby monitor is kind of cool because I can see Stone wherever I put the camera. Wherever he is, from wherever in the house, I can pull up this monitor and I can see him. And when he's crying, I can hear it. And here's what's even really cool. He can hear me. It's a two-way microphone. I can talk to the monitor and I can talk to him. But here's what's funny. That doesn't work at all. I can talk to him all day long through that monitor and he still doesn't stop crying. I can provide him with all of the sustenance that he needs. I can give him all of the food. I can make sure he has a clean diaper. I can make sure that everything is fine, that there are no earthly problems with him. But he still cries always. But here's what he's wanting. You know what stops it? You know what fixes it? It's not provision. It's relationship. He already desires it. He's already wired for it. He already wants it. And here's what's a beautiful thing. I recognize that by God's grace, one day, the relationship that he feels when we hold him, that thing that calms him down, the only thing that stops him crying, will one day be replaced by the relationship that he has with his heavenly father. That's the beautiful thing. We were created to have intimate relationships ultimately with the Lord but yes also with one another but see nothing else works right now other than to hold this child it's funny but my wife has perfected this ability to sleep with one hand off the bed on him and uh, this morning I came in and she had his fish hooked <laughs> she had fish hooked his mouth and they were both asleep and I thought do I fix it no nah, I'm just leaving it um, if both are asleep, it's a win, right? So small wins for the victory. Here's what's interesting. It's just the touch that he needs. We need a touch from the Lord. We need that oneness, that intimacy with him. Our God is saying because of their sin, he cannot be in their presence. Because of their idolatry, Moses would have encounters, but they would not. This broke the people's hearts he says, I will make sure you're safe. I will put food out. But that intimate relationship cannot happen. See, one of the ways that we know that God is so glorious is because our God is better than anything and everything else. See, God is better than earthly peace, provision, safety, wealth. If you had what was the Lord's presence but living in a garbage dump, can I tell you that you would be happier than living in a mansion without his presence? Can I just say that wealth is worthless if you are not in the hand of the Lord. Peace is worthless if you are not in the hand of the Lord. I would rather stand in a war zone with Jesus than in a gated suburban household without him. That's how important our relationship, intimacy with the Lord is. Peace is only found when there is a closeness to Jesus. And I just need to hit a side note here. Some of you guys are chasing peace because you're chasing revenge. You're chasing to get even. You're chasing to see that that person that hurt you gets hurt back. You want to see them fall on their face because that will bring you so much joy. Can I just tell you, it never does. 
Only oneness with the Lord will bring you the peace that you're looking for. So many of us are chasing wealth. Can I just tell you, wealth is fine when God blesses you with it. But let me just go ahead and tell you that it will not fulfill. It will not bring you the peace that you're wanting. You want wealth, but truly what you're looking for is to fill that God-sized hole in your life that not just salvation fills. Hear me. We think that once we have Jesus, now we're totally fulfilled. No, now you're pursuing that relationship, that intimacy, that closeness that takes day-to-day effort, day-to-day calling. Mark 8, verse 34 says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will find it. I love this. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can man give in return for that soul? See, I know this isn't probably the most light guy in the room today, but Tom Brady, I forget how many Super Bowl rings he has. It just doesn't matter at this point, right? But here's what's interesting. By the time he had three Super Bowl rings, he had an interview. And this interview just captured how the world thinks. It captured that need for the Lord and that God-shaped hole in his heart. Because here's what happened. He was being interviewed. He had just won three Super Bowl rings. He had so many ladies dying to be in a relationship with him. He had all the wealth you could imagine, millions upon millions of dollars had the best food, had the best cars, lived in the best mansions. But what happened in this interview was they said, after you won your third Super Bowl, what did you do? And Tom said, well, I went back to my mansion, went back to my house. And I sat there and thinking, there's got to be more to life than this. Everybody was telling him that he had reached the pinnacle. He had done what he had set his whole life out to do, to win those Super Bowls, to be successful, to be the athlete that everybody wanted for him to be, that he so desired to be. And then when he achieved it, what happened? When he achieved it, he recognized it was for naught because it did not fulfill like he thought it would. Hear me, all of that success is fine. Young guys over here, listen to me. Your athlete success is great, but hear me when I tell you this. Don't think that that's going to make you feel like you're fulfilled. It's going to be cool moments, and you'll look back on them forever. But hear me when I say this. You would be making a huge mistake if you centered your life on athletics. Because guess what? One day, you will not be an athlete. Guess what? One day, you will not have that occupation that you once had. You know what happens when you leave your job that you have worked so tirelessly for? They're going to find your replacement. They're not going to miss you that bad. You will be replaced. There is no indispensable person on this planet when it comes to this world. But hear me, the only title that you will carry into eternity is not even mother, father, sister, brother, husband, wife. You would just be carrying the title son and daughter of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's it. So quit prioritizing all of those things over that. Church, hear me when I tell you this. These people were looking for validation. They were looking to have this title they were so proud of. They were looking to be respected. They were looking for somebody to tell them that they mattered. Once again, the only label that matters is when Jesus calls you mine. When he says, you are mine, that's the only title that matters. Jim Elliott, 
He was a missionary that went to Ecuador that died in the jungle trying to bring the gospel to the locals there. And he wrote this quote, and I love it in his journal before he died. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Verse 14, and he said, God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, when he's saying I will go with you, he's not talking to the Israelites. He's talking to Moses. I'm going to go with you. I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't bring us up from here. Moses is saying, if you won't at least be with me, leave us here. Don't make us go anywhere because I'm not doing anything without you. That perhaps might be the smartest thing that Moses ever said. If your presence isn't going to be with me, if you're not going to guide me and lead me, then guess what? I don't want to do anything. That's the smartest man in scripture in this moment because he's recognizing that nothing is worth doing unless you're doing it with the Lord hand in hand with him. Verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? Moses asked the Lord. I am, I and your people, I and the Israelites. Is it not in you going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people, for every other people on the face of the earth. What he's saying is, the only thing that separates us from everyone else is your presence. See, here's what's funny. There are people outside of the Christian faith that are successful. There are people outside of the Christian faith that are nice people. There are people outside of the Christian faith that are kind, good people. There are people outside of the Christian faith that make lots of money, that do a whole lot of things to be esteemed. What separates us from them? The presence of the Lord in our lives. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the only thing that separates us from the lost world. In the world's eyes, Mormons are a whole lot better people than we are because they believe they can lose their salvation. So they work a whole lot harder at it. Can I just be honest with you? Uh-oh. Now hear me. What separates us is our relationship, our intimacy with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. See, we can have all the stuff, but the stuff doesn't matter without relationship. We can have provision, but with just provision without relationship, it is pointless. Y'all, I have an excellent wife. Can I tell you her ministry? If you were to ask her what she feels like her ministry is, she wants to take care of our home and take care of me so well so I can take care of you. That's her calling. That's her love. She loves to work at the home. She loves to cook. She loves to take care of the house. She loves to make sure that I'm provided for at, house, at the house. I'm so grateful for that. Hear me. But what if every day I came home from work and the house was clean and things looked great, everything was perfect and there was dinner on the table, but the moment I walked in, she went and locked herself in the bedroom? Do you realize that that's what the Hebrew children are going through? God's saying, I'm going to provide you with food. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. But this oneness with me, you don't get it. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine having a marriage where that's what it looked like? I'm going to do all the things, but I'm not going to give you myself. That's a problem, isn't it? 
That's not a successful relationship. Jesus came to mend that, and now that has been restored. When you gave your life to Jesus, you entered into a covenant through Jesus with the Lord God Almighty. Now you can have that communion, that unity, that closeness. My question is, do you even care, and do you throw it away on a daily basis and not pay attention to what Jesus had to go through to give you that oneness, that closeness, that intimacy in which the Lord desires Do you truly cherish it like you're called to? See, in Exodus 34, we see the Lord going to walk by Moses, allowing Moses to see a little bit of the glory of God as he's tucked into a Uh, tucked tucked into a little cleft in the rock. And in verse 5, it says this, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with them there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The the Lord proclaimed himself. And in verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. This is God talking about himself. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, And faithfulness, keeping love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Now hear me for a moment. You want to find your identity? You want to find what label matters? You want to find worth? How about that God has an uncontrollable love for you? There's very few things that God can't do, but I think one of them is he can't hold his love in for you. He does stupid things for you like sending his perfect son to die for you. From a worldly perspective, isn't that dumb? Because isn't he getting a bad trade? Because he sacrificed his son for a bunch of people that, guys, we betray him on a daily basis, don't we? Can you see the abounding love? But then there's another but. I love this here. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. (laughs) He's abounding in love, keeping love for thousands. But then he says, but I'm a good judge. He's allergic to the sin, but here's what I love here. When we look in the New Testament, we see John chapter one, verse 17. And in this text, it says, for the law was given through Moses. The law was given not by Moses, through Moses. The rules that show us that we're not good enough, that we're imperfect, that we need grace were through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth come through Him. And we can have relationship because of Him. I love this moment in Exodus 34, chapter, verse 29. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets, he wrote the Ten Commandments a second time, the testimony in his hand, and he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin on his face was shining because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all of the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with him. Do you see that an encounter with the Lord and intimacy with the Lord causes you to look different than the world? When you have intimacy with the Lord, you look different from the world. But also, do you notice that it, you don't just look different? You scare the world. The world gets nervous around you. 
expect it. Learn to appreciate it because it means that you're looking more like Jesus. Guys, when we look at this text, it says his face shone so much so that they asked him. He had to put a veil on his face because it was so bright, it hurt their eyes. You know, I think of that old children's song, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm gonna let it shine. So funny to me, but I think the world tries to get us to tone down our reflection of Jesus. They want us to look a little bit like Jesus, to be all accepting, all loving, but yet they don't realize that love is a much deeper and bigger word. And when we truly take on the presence, the persona of Christ, it's daunting, it's extreme because Jesus does not look like the lost. Hear me church, the more we look like the world, the, the more we look like the Lord, the more the world is nervous, but the more of a light we are bringing into this world. Church, I'm about to pray. We're going to open up this altar. Here's what I ask. I ask that you have boldness to do what you need to do. If you need to come and talk about salvation with myself or Brother Jeremy, you need to talk about joining the church or baptism or prayer need, whatever you need to do. I've been praying all week you would have boldness to move. But hear me today. Do not let the sun go down today without you getting right with the Lord. Will you pray with me, Lord? We thank you for today. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to be with you, to spend time with you. God, I pray that as we enter this time where the altar's open, God, I pray that you will soften hearts, give people a longing and a desire to pursue reconciliation with you, a closeness with you. And God, for those in the room that do not have a relationship with you, God, I pray that you will soften the hardened heart. In your name we pray.